Hi there, I'm James Dapache and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are going to have an exciting chat about costs orders made after the conclusion of a piece of litigation. What's going on here? We've got a lender and a lender sues four defendants and the lender loses against defendant three and defendant four. And what very often happens when someone uh, commences proceedings, uh, goes to court against someone and loses, is that often costs will follow the event, which is to say that the person who lost, if we put lost in inverted commas, is obliged to pay the legal fees, or some of them, of the party that won in inverted commas again. So we have our lender who lost against defendants three and four who won. And so what the court says is, um, on the face of it, defendants three and four should get their costs paid by the lender on the ordinary basis. Now, if I can just linger on that word ordinary, um, you won't hear any lawyer in written advice, including me, I'm not giving this as advice, I'm making this as a passing comment. Some lawyers would say that ordinary costs might see the party that got that costs order reimbursed something like 50 or 60% of their costs, and indemnity or solicitor client costs might see that party uh, reimbursed something like 80 or 90% of their costs. Now these are very loose numbers and if you try to hold me to that I will resist. But just as a working uh, model, let's say that indemnity costs are higher, you get reimbursed more than you do if you only get ordinary costs. So what the court says, coming back to our lender and defendants three and four, is that defendants three and four should get their costs on the ordinary basis up to the date of this letter of offer that defendants three and four sent. And after that letter of offer, we're gonna to need to have a chat about whether the legal costs from then are on the indemnity basis, that higher basis, right? So, what was the letter of offer? Essentially, the defendants made a number of alternative offers but I'll just describe them as one offer for the purpose of this discussion. And what happened is that if the lender had accepted that offer or one of those offers, then the outcome for the lender would have been better than the lender eventually losing the litigation. So the outcome for the lender, if they'd accepted the offer, was no less favorable and was indeed more favorable than going ahead to litigation and losing. Now, what sort of offer was it? You might have heard the expression call the bank offer before, or you might have seen the formula of words without prejudice, save as to costs. Now speaking broadly, that's one kind of offer that can be made in litigation. Another kind of offer uh, that is very similar, but not the same, is an offer pursuant to the rules, speaking broadly. Um, in New South Wales, the rules are the uniform civil procedure rules. And the difference between a call the bank offer without prejudice, save as to costs, and an offer pursuant to the rules is how strict the implications of that offer are about whether a party gets ordinary costs, that lower level of costs, or whether the party gets indemnity costs, that higher level. So if we come back to our broad big picture, remember we've got this lender that lost against defendant three and four. The judge said ordinary costs up to the date of this offer 
and then I want to have a chat with all the parties about whether or not it should be indemnity for the rest, for all the time after the offer. Put another way, is the offer the kind of offer that would attract an indemnity costs order? And I'm going to spoil it right now by saying yes, <laughs> the court did order indemnity costs, so why? Right. This was an offer made in accordance with the rules. And what the rules say, um, because the rules are stricter than a call-to-bank offer, um, a call-to-bank offer leaves a lot of discretion in the hands of the court about indemnity costs. And the rules say, speaking broadly, that if a party um, finds itself in the position of the defendant, um, enjoying a less favourable outcome or a no more favourable outcome or whatever the formula was, um, outcome than the offer made in accordance with the rules, then the court must order indemnity costs unless it otherwise orders, right? So the court must, the judge in this case says, right, I must give indemnity costs from this letter unless I otherwise order. And so obviously the lender says, well, I'm going to have to make an argument about why you should otherwise order. And so what are those arguments that the lender makes, right? The lender says, um, firstly, when that offer was made, I didn't have the benefit of some further evidence. We're going to have to go into the case itself for you to understand that better. Um, the lender said, hey, look, the judge in that first judgment, you, <laughs> that judge, um, relied on a first instance decision that was at the time or is currently under appeal. And then thirdly, um, the plaintiff had a, the lender had a genuine argument. It's a complex dispute about mortgage documents. There are few cross claims going on and frankly it was not unreasonable for that letter of offer to be rejected or allowed to lapse. These are the things the lender said. And what the court had to say is, are all those things sufficient that I should otherwise order? Because you remember the judge has to order indemnity costs unless the judge orders otherwise. Working through the case law, the judge finds that uh, he or she or it or they, I've, I've forgotten the, uh, the gender identity of the judge with apology, um, ought to uh, order otherwise in exceptional circumstances. So the whole question is, is this case exceptional circumstances? And the particular point that the lender comes to is the lender says, well, there's this evidence that wasn't available to us at the time this offer was made. Right? I need to give you a bit more background than I promised before. The lender lent some money to uh, some defendants and it was secured by some mortgages that defendant two and three were named on. Now defendant, sorry, defendant three and four, defendant three and four's signatures were forged. <laughs> so they were the victims of forgery on the part of defendant one and two. And what the lender said is we didn't have the expert evidence in relation to this forgery at the time we got the offer. So it was not unreasonable that we rejected it. It was not unreasonable that we allowed it to lapse. What the court said, in short, is while it may not have been unreasonable for you to allow the offer to lapse, while it may not have been unreasonable for you to press for this additional evidence, while it may not have been unreasonable for you to want to fight on despite what you'd seen from defendant three or four about their evidence of being in the wrong country, for example, at the time the documents were signed, None of that is exceptional, meaning none of that is going to cause the court to otherwise order, meaning because the offer was a rules offer, that indemnity costs flowed from the date of it. So what the court ordered was 
that Defendant 3 and 4 got ordinary costs up to the date of the offer and indemnity costs for the rest because the arguments the lender made were not sufficient to show the case was exceptional, meaning the court should otherwise order. Hope that's clear as mud and I look forward to speaking again soon for another coffee and another case note. Cheers.